there's always this big debate. Like sometimes it's Thanksgiving Day, sometimes it's sometimes it's the day after Thanksgiving. Is it legit to play Christmas music, right? Uh, or you'll walk into Target and you'll see a Christmas display like right then, you know. Um, and I think you've even heard some people like the day after Halloween. <laughs> it's really when it's happening, right? Um, and uh, so there's this debate about the you know, when the radio uh, stations play the Christmas music, right? Um, and so I got to thinking about the songs that are sung at Christmas time. And of course, there's a slew of them. Um, but I went to look to see what are the worst Christmas songs of all time. Okay, now, I got to say, I think I've only heard of one of these, so that may date me, okay? So, okay, so, um, and I don't even know if I can recommend, like, listening to these, but I will tell you what they were according to the Rolling Stone magazine, okay? Number three, the third worst Christmas song of all time is Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid. Okay, uh, coming in at number two worst Christmas song, Maroon Five. Their song called "Happy Xmas," also known as "War Is Over." Don't even know what that's about. And then number one, the worst Christmas song. Now, some of these are probably has to do with not not necessarily the song, but how it was sung. Okay, uh, is the Little Drummer Boy sung by Jessica Simpson and featuring Ashley Simpson? Don't know what's wrong with the little drummer boy, but it must have been bad. It was, might have been the performance, yeah. Uh, so now, just for kicks, I went ahead and said, what's the top Christmas carol? Any guesses? Silent Night. Silent Night. Parade.com said Silent Night, which makes sense. It's a very common one uh, in, of cr the Christmas carols, right? Um, so... Uh, and, and just on the topic of songs, uh, is that, you know, last week we, we really hit on a song that Mary sang in response to uh, knowing that she was going to bear the Lord Jesus Christ as her child. And so, and then today we're going to hit on Zachariah's song, uh, a, a song of praise that he gives forth um, in response to uh, what God has done with him and Elizabeth, and them being able to have a child. And so, uh, really, there's a lot of uh, praise and singing at Christmas time in the Bible, right? Now, certainly when these were um, said, I doubt that they were probably put to music, right? We call them songs now, but they're in kind of the, the way a hymn would be said. They're kind of in that cadence and in that genre. So that, I think that's why they call them the songs of Christmas. And of course, then there's the, there's the song that the angels sang, right, on Christmas Day. So lots, lots of songs. And, and like I said, today, what we're going to do is we're going to hit on this, um, this passage here in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80, and just titling this, His Name is John, with an exclamation point. Uh, and uh, and you'll see why I kind of named it that with an exclamation point um, here in just a second. But there's this uh, passage, you can break it down kind of nicely into three sections, okay? The first one is uh, just kind of like the announcement of, you know, the birth of John. And that's where we're headed first. And in this section, we're going to realize that this song 
that is going to be sung, at least as we think about it from Zechariah's standpoint, is a song of second chances. It's a song of second chances. When you look in this first section here in verses 57 to 66, and I'll just read it for you. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 57 says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. I mean, some of you that have children have probably gotten that, like, nobody in the family line has that name. Where'd you come up with that, you know? Um, verse 62, and they made signs to his father. As you remember, Zechariah is mute. Some, think, some people believe he may have been deaf also. Um, and they, they speculate that because uh, why would you have to sign or make signs to him if he could hear you? You know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't explicitly say that, but you might say implicitly you could get that. Right? And I understand that. Um, so they're making signs to Zechariah to see what, you know, he would want the child to be called. And so then it says, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. Again, you got you to gotta, uh, put in yourself in this culture where it was definitely traditional that you would name your, especially your firstborn son, after someone in the family line, if not the father, maybe the grandfather or something. Uh, and and so there was, you know, it wasn't like, hey, you should, let's name him Nebuchadnezzar. No, it was just John, right? And so uh, they're wondering about this. You know, why is this? And immediately, as soon as he wrote that down, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessing. Uh, he spoke blessing God. And, um, and so it, it, we go on here just for a couple more verses. And fear came on all their neighbors. They're like, what's going on? Right? This is amazing. He, he, he writes down that his name is John, and all of a sudden he's breaking forth, blessing God. Right? And so they're just wondering what's going on. All these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Uh, you know, being from a small town myself, if you've ever been from a small town, word travels fast. You're not getting away with anything in Fletcher, Ohio. I guarantee that. Uh, and so it's just, you know, and so probably same thing. Everybody's talking about this. You know, here's, first of all, here's this couple who were uh, up in their years having a baby. This was uh, miraculous in itself. And, uh, and so the neighbors were celebrating with them. And I think that's kind of cool, too, just to think about that verse where it said that they rejoiced with them. It just reminds me that in the book of Romans, it challenges us as believers to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, right? That's part of being a part of a, a Christian community, right, is we want to not just be thinking about ourselves, but we want to enter into the lives of others around us, right, in the church family, and to be able to celebrate their wins in life, right, and what's what God's doing in their life, whatever, just celebrating with them, and also to try to uh, empathize with them as they go through great difficulty and grieve with them. Uh, and, and so this is, um, you know, I just thought it's very interesting that it mentions um, that about the people there, that they rejoiced with her. 
And this could be a challenge sometimes, can't it, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing? We can sometimes kind of compare uh, our lives and say, wow, you know, I'd like to rejoice with them, but I'm feeling like I sure would like to have what they got going right now, right? And so I, I think that's, that's human, but I think by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, that he's in control of all things, even with what's going on in our lives, we can trust him with that and, and still rejoice, right, uh, with what's going on, on other, in other people's lives. Then verse 66, and it says, And all who heard them uh, laid them up in their hearts. In other words, the things that were going on. They kind of uh, held them in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? Uh, for the hand of the Lord was with him. Uh, I tell you what, if there's not, if you don't turn this as a parent into a prayer, you need to. You need to pray that the hand of the Lord would be with your children, okay? So may that ought to be like the primary prayer. Lord, I pray that they would come to know Jesus at an early age. I pray that the hand of God would be on their life uh, and have just, you know, have his blessings, if you will. Uh, that's That's a huge deal. So these the people here, as they're um, uh, rejoicing with Elizabeth and Zechariah, are, are just amazed at what's going on. They're just wondering, what is this kid going to be? What's his mission? What is, how is God going to use him? You know, so just encourage parents to be really missional in your prayer life. Right? You know, ask God to help you raise that child in a way that is according to their design how God has designed them, their, their passions that God has put in their life, their interests um, that God may work uh, up within them as they grow up. And uh, make no mistake, uh, as a parent, uh, you're the one to parent that child, okay? And I just, as I think about that, because um, like, you know, so much of parenting is like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't care how many books you read that it was there wasn't a child uh, book written about my child you know it, it's just it's just so challenging it's so what do we do you're presented with situations you just don't know what to do or how to how to help your kid with this or that um, and so you begin to wonder am I really supposed to be the parent of this child and you say you have to remind yourself well God gave this child to you and therefore yes you are the one right and you have what it takes as you lean into the Lord. I think that's the key phrase, as you lean into the Lord, okay? Uh, God will help you, okay? And so uh, these are just some, uh, this is not the main uh, melody of this passage, but it just reminds me of a lot of things as I see some of these phrases in here um, as these guys become parents, okay? So the hand of the Lord was with him. Um, now, uh, the reason I'm, I'm saying that this is uh, uh, partially a song that, that he's going to sing about second chances is you think about Zechariah. Why was he unable to speak? Because he disbelieved the word, that came, the word of God that came to him through the angel Gabriel, right? He disbelieved it. Uh, he, he just couldn't believe that this could happen. And then, of course, uh, as soon as he couldn't speak anymore... Um, I think we mentioned in the message uh, that week that, well, then, okay, um, then whatever the angel said must going to be happened, 
which means we are going to have a baby. I just can't talk about it right now, right? And uh, and so this is really, uh, you think about it, this guy's a, if anybody ought to be able to believe God could do a miracle, would it be a priest? You would think, right? You would think, it's a man of God, right? Uh, he, he was a, uh, of the priestly line, and he was doing. And in fact, he was in he was in the temple, right? So, and again, I'm you know I'm not taking pot shots uh, because we all have times of unbelief, but uh, or have doubts. But I'm just saying um, the irony here, right? That that this man was not believing God, and so it's really kind of you think about it. What's this happened? And you went. You go home to your wife after serving your time in the temple. I'm thinking, you know, I also would just be feeling like a failure, right? Okay, I did my duty before the Lord here, but but uh, I I disbelieved God, um, and you would just be feeling like a failure. But um, the neat thing is, is that we learn here as after these nine months of God's discipline and this silence, um, he grew. And uh, some some people like to call those God-sent trials to grow our faith as um, sanctified afflictions. Sanctified afflictions. Like, it hurts, okay, but it's there for a reason, that trial, uh, that difficulty. And so for him, uh, his silence was meant to be a God's loving discipline, right? It wasn't like God saying, oh, hey, you know, I don't love you, so I'm going to do this to you, right? No, he like, I love you. That's why I'm doing this, right? And uh, we need to see the discipline of God like that in our own lives, is that, you know, sometimes uh, the difficulties in our life are our own doing, but God's working through that to help uh, bring us along in our faith and help us uh, maybe grow in our belief and our trust in him, in his ways, oftentimes um, we get off track with God because we decide we can do it better uh, our way than God's way. When we clearly know what God's way is, we say, well, I'd really rather not do that. That's going to be more difficult. I don't feel like doing that. Some people might think I'm weird doing that or going that route. Um, and so we do it our way, and God says, nope, you're going to have to learn a lesson here. Right? Just like uh, the, the people of God out in the wilderness wandering for 40 years. Right? Uh, in, enduring the discipline of the Lord there. And so, so Zechariah uh, at first did not believe, but at some point during his silence, he came to believe because what does he say when they ask him, what do you want the child to be called? Well, he's going to go with the name that the angel said God told you to name him, right? So he says, no, his name will be John. And at that moment, his lips were loosed, and he could speak. And I don't think that's like an accident. It's an expression of his obedience and his submission to God was the writing out, his name is John, that the Lord um, uh, released his tongue. Um, uh, some have said, uh, and Kevin DeYoung said this, about why tie up his tongue? What's, he could have done anything. You know, God could have disciplined in any manner of why tie up his tongue? And um, some thoughts on that were just that Zechariah's speech was taken away until the one whose voice would call out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, would be born. 
in other words, when, when the child would be born who would be the voice crying in the wilderness was born, his voice would be loosed. Um, Zechariah's voice would be loosed. And, and uh, almost uh, symbolic of this 400 years of silence, right, where there was no word from the prophet of God, right, from the last verse in Malachi that we read a couple weeks ago uh, till here in the first verses of Luke in that time period, right, it appeared that God was silent in terms of hearing a word from him. And here we have the silence of Zechariah for nine months. And then when John comes on the scene, the prophet of God, as he'll be called here in a little bit, um, he, uh, Zechariah, is allowed to speak again. Now, um, so Zechariah gets a second chance here. And isn't it, aren't you glad that God gives second chances, third chances, fourth chances, 117th chances, okay? Uh, that, that's the mercy of God, right? We say second chances, but we know we fail many more times than two in a given area. At least I have. Uh, so, uh, but it reminds us that, you know, we can experience uh, the second chances that God, uh, by his grace, would give. Uh, those times when um, we thought that we had exhausted the kindness and grace of God because of our continued stumbling, uh, or times when we were so far from God's will and caught up in sin. Uh, you know, so maybe today is a day, an, an op another opportunity for you to turn back to God if, that's, if you're far from God. Maybe he's saying, hey, this, is a, hey, this is a reminder, this message here that you thought was about Christmas, it's about you today. In other words, the application is about you, and he wants you to maybe turn to him. I was reminded of 2 Peter 3.9, which says, uh, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some might count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So that verse written in a letter to Christians who were being persecuted and suffering, right? He's saying, listen, you got to hang on here and trust God during this period of suffering because Jesus is not coming back yet. Uh, if he hasn't come back yet, then he's got more people that are going to respond to the message, that are going to repent and turn to Jesus. And so think about God's patience and uh, the God of second chances again today might be you might be here saying, well, I've not really put my faith ever in Christ. And uh, I didn't realize that God was patiently waiting for me to respond to his offer of grace and forgiveness like we talked about during communion. And so, so I would, again, once again, just urge you, put your faith in Christ. Believe on him. What's stopping me? What's stopping me? And if you have questions about that, by all means, after the service, come up, ask me or ask one of our members, one of our elders, whatever, just about, if you've got questions about the gospel, about Jesus, and we'd love to try to interact with you about that. And also online, you know, if you're, you can interact with our hosts or ask questions there. Um, and so, uh, but think about this. At, even after believing, right, we, we still, it's no surprise, we still fall short, we sin. Um, um, we're just forgiven in Christ. And so every day, you know, think about those wonderful verses in Lamentations, right? Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast 
love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And isn't it wonderful to know that when you come to know Christ, you know the God of great love and steadfast love. Like he's not going to just like kick you out of the family at your at your first failure, your second failure. You know, once you're one in the family, you're in the family, right? But just that we're able to start every day new, afresh. Um, and isn't that, I mean, that's, isn't that, I mean, I love to watch a good sunrise. I don't know about you guys, uh, but so in our house, there's a loft and it looks over the direction where the sun rises. And uh, when there's no leaves on the trees, you can clearly see all the amazing colors of purple and pink and orange, you know, and it changes as the sunrise comes up. Uh, and it's actually more dramatic the earlier it is. I'm sure there's a physics reason for that, uh, how the life is, the, the, the light is getting, you know, bent through the air and all that. Um, but, but the reason I mention that is because it just reminds me uh, when we're up there in those mornings that, you know, this is a new day. It's a new start. Um, it's, a, it's a God's mercy are new today, right? So the mercies that I need for today... He's, he's there ready to just pour out, right? Uh, and they're different than they were. Uh, the, the ones I need today are different than the ones I needed yesterday, right? And so, so just be encouraged that uh, uh, this song here, as we see Zechariah blessing God here in just a minute, uh, is that it's sung by a man who had a failure. Had a failure. And God uh, disciplined him. He responded in obedience, and here he is giving praise to God. And so let's take a look here um, at the part of the, the, when he starts singing here, um, it's a song about blessing. In fact, um, you know how we said that Mary's song is given the name Magnificat because the first word in the Latin translation of her song is that word Magnificat? Well, similarly with this song, uh, the first word in the Latin translation, Latin Vulgate, for this song is benedictus, okay? And that's, that's uh, what it means. And it means blessing. That's actually what it means, blessing. So he's, he's giving a blessing here. And so let's take a look here at this song of blessing. As he goes in here, it says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. So did, so did you get that? So he's... he's Full of the Holy Spirit, and then he's prophesying. He's going to say some stuff that are from God. All right. So then uh, the first thing he does here is he blesses God for their redemption. For the redemption. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Right? So he's blessing God because listen, the redemption of Israel is coming. Right? And he's 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 he has redeemed us and he is redeeming us. Yeah, right. Um, you think back to um, uh, back in uh, uh, them coming out of Egypt, right? They were redeemed then, right? Redeemed out of slavery. They were set free, and uh, and so, but but this is all looking forward though to ultimate redemption through the Messiah and what the Messiah would do. And so they're just he's just blessing God that he has visited and redeemed his people. And then next we'll see Zechariah praises God for the royal Messiah who's coming. 
It says that he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is how you know what he's talking about right now is not about his own son, John the Baptist. Okay? It's this part uh, because it says he's of the house of the servant of David. So we know that, um, that Zechariah is not of that line, right? And so he's clearly speaking about the Messiah, Jesus, that was going to be born to Mary. Uh, raised up a horn of salvation for us. I think we mentioned here a, a week ago or so that that's symbolic, the horn of salvation. The horn is symbolic of strength and power, right? Uh, you would even see the, there were horns on the altar. Um, warriors in battle would wear horns on their hat. I mean, this is all symbols of strength, power, right? And, uh, and so in the Hebrew language, when you would say things like that, raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, saying there's a strong leader coming, right? Of course, they were, um, in, in a lot of these, uh, in the infant narratives, uh, there's going to be a lot of political language, right? There's going to be a lot of like, hey, he's coming to deliver us from our enemies, right? And which is true, it's just that, you know, that's going to happen the second time around, right? There's really going to be, because we, we, have, we have two advents, right? There's the first coming here that we celebrate at Christmas, and then we're still waiting on the second coming, right, of Jesus. And that's when uh, that kingdom will become physical, okay, and the Lord will reign and rule here on earth, and judgment will be meted out. Um, and so, but, but they didn't understand that then, and I think that's, in a sense, understandable, um, but, uh, but there's, so there's a spiritual component to this uh, uh, salvation and redemption. And then there's also, uh, you know, just being saved from your enemies, that kind of language. Um, and then we've got uh, Zechariah praising God for the word that was spoke by the prophets long ago. It says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And so they're just... You know, he's had nine months to think about this, all that's happening, right? All that God has promised, all, that, uh, all the promises being fulfilled in this moment by these two connected families, right? Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, having John the Baptist here, whose birth we're talking about today, and then, and then um, the cousin uh, of Elizabeth, Mary, is going to give birth to Jesus uh, after a while here. In, in the text, and so as we as we move through the weeks, and so um, just realize he's just reflecting on the promises of God. So much of what you get out of I keep saying the infant narratives that you know this is just the, where they're talking about these babies being born, Jesus and and John the Baptist. It's so much of it is basically being reminded God is making good on His promises. God is doing what He said, and so. Um, just one of many ways in the scriptures we're reminded that God is not a liar. God always keeps his promises. And so a promise correctly understood is always going to be a promise fulfilled. Okay, does that make sense? So uh, that stands for all the promises of God. Then we have here uh, in these next few verses here, he gives reasons for the blessing. He says, uh, so let me, let me kind of read the previous, so we've kind of been doing this piecemeal. Let me read the previous few verses that we just kind of went through. It says, and, it, um, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, that's verse 67, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people 
and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. And then it says, that we should be saved from our enemies. So he's kind of giving the purpose of this uh, salvation, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. There's that Abrahamic covenant connection that we talked about last week. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. I want to stay here just for a minute on this last verse. Did you get that? The purpose of this redemption says, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear. Now, um, the salvation uh, has the aim of service in mind. We're saved for a purpose. Okay, we're saved for a purpose. We're saved to serve. We are saved to serve. Now, when Moses sent, uh, when God sent Moses as his man on the ground, to be his mouthpiece, to deliver God's people from the bondage of slavery. Here is what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. This is Exodus 8.1. Listen to what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go that they may serve me. And listen, that's, you wonder what your purpose in life is. There's probably a lot there, but I know as a Christian that God has a purpose for us to serve him in some way, okay? Uh, as, as an act of worship, if you will, our service to God. Um, so we're saved to serve. We're redeemed for a purpose. Um, and this is really what Zechariah is saying. He's saying, listen, we, God... You're blessing us, and we know you're blessing us with the Messiah so that we can serve, so that we can serve you. And um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul tells a similar thing about us as believers. He says, speaking of Jesus, it says, And he died for all, that those who live might just have a great life. Oh, that's not what my Bible says. No, no. sorry, different version. That's Second heresy. Um, this is, uh, no, the Second Corinthians 5, 15 says, And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Right? So it's, uh, we're saved to serve. Saved to serve. Romans 12, 1 also talks about this. I alluded to, to it just a minute ago. Um, in the Amplified, I got a couple different versions for you. I want you to hear them. In the Amplified, I won't speak louder on this one. Um, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, it says to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God. So, so dedicating all of yourself, your whole self, all of your life to the service of God. And this is our response, Paul says in Romans. This is our response. It's like the logical response to salvation. When you know how far you've come, Right to be saved, right, and you realize what God the lengths that God has gone to to show His love through His Son. Your only logical response is to say, "Here I am, send me." 
how do you want me to do that? The, para- the paraphrase, the message says this in Romans 12, and it says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your go-to-work and walking-around life, and place it before God as an offering. It's like everything, just everything about your life, right? Um, may it be, a, a, like it says there, a living sacrifice, in other words. And so, so we just need to realize that, um, again, we're redeemed. You know, you're redeemed, right, when you put your faith in Christ. You're saved when you put your faith in Christ. And when that happens, you if you didn't know it before, now I'm telling you, you've been saved to serve. You've been saved to serve God. You've been saved to, to live out your days so that uh, God might be exalted through your life, through your family, through your parenting, through your job. And I like I do like how it says that. It, I know it's a paraphrase, uh, not great for Bible studying, but but the paraphrase you get the idea is like it's everything. You're you're sleeping, you're going to work, you're walking around life. That's everything, right? It's not like your church life, right? It's not like your your home life. It's not like we're no. It's all supposed to be God's. Your life lived for God, right? Right. So. Um, then he goes on here and he says, uh, in holiness and in righteousness before him all your days. That's how we're supposed to serve. Serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all your days. All right. So this last part of the song. So we talked about how it's a, um, it's a song. Uh, we said here, it's a song of hope is what's coming up. What was the first thing it was a song about? What's that? A song of blessing was the second one. Second chances, right? Song of second chances, song of blessing. Now we're going to hit on a song of hope, right? In these last few verses. So a song of hope. We'll take a look at these verses here. Um, what's interesting is that if you compare this uh, hymn or this song to Mary's song, uh, Mary starts off kind of like blessing God for for. Um, Basically acknowledging her like a, a lowly person that he would see me, right? Uh, and then she kind of widens the funnel of her uh, hymn, and it expands to the nation of Israel and God's people. And here, what happens is uh, Zechariah's song is almost the opposite. Uh, in these last few verses, he's kind of kind of narrow it down, and he's going to talk about his son now. He's going to talk about his son now, and everything before this has kind of been, um, you know, generally God's people. So he says here in verse 76, and you, child, uh, will be called the prophet of the Most High. So now he's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. It's almost like this part of the song answers the questions that the people were asking. What kind of kids are going to be? All right. What's going what's to happen with this kid? And in, the, in this part of the song, uh, Zechariah, through the help of the Holy Spirit, is telling them, right? Let me just back up there. Uh, this child will be called the prophet of the Most High. So this, this is going to be a prophet, be the last uh, prophet in the sense of, I think, the Old Testament type of prophet, okay? Uh, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. So he's, he's paving the way. For the Messiah to come on the scene, right? And uh, that's that's his purpose, 
Um, and even the parents know this from what from what has been told them. You know, uh, it's uh, even in this song, it's it's not like they're just saying, you know, and, and, and certainly every parent's going to say their kid's the best, you know, and so you should. You should you should love your kid greatly and um, and so on. But he's like, well, he's pointing the way, right? He's like, it's not the it's not about John the Baptist. It's about the coming Messiah. But John the Baptist, no less, has a major role here as he prepares the way. It says to give knowledge of salvation to his people. He's going to preach a message of salvation. And it'll be one of repentance, right? Trying to turn people back to God, right? And one of forgiveness. It says, uh, knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, you know, so in our house, we have uh, have a, a few smart lights, and so that I, you know, I'm, it's probably just, I mean, you don't need a smart light, right? It's not a need, right? It's just a want, okay? And I wanted one, and then I wanted another one, and, but I got them, like, for dirt cheap, okay? Uh, but, but anyway, regardless of the economics of a smart light, uh, I have one... Uh, one light by my bed and one on Linda's side, and then we have like a couple out in the living room and so on. And I'm always afraid when I want to turn the smart light on in the morning, I'm going to turn on Linda's light next to her bed, but she's not up. And wouldn't that just be like, think about it. If you're, if you're asleep and somebody turns on the light in the room, it's not a happy moment. Not typically, right? Is it? Uh, at least for you who are sleeping, right? Uh, and who wake up on the grumpy side of life, okay? I don't know who those people are, probably not in this room, but but so that light is not usually welcome, right? But um, when the light of the Lord comes and shines in your life and it exposes darkness, that's what light does, right? Exposes the darkness. Um, it is uncomfortable, Um that's called, we call that conviction, okay? You, you get convinced that something's not right in my life. Um, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. One of, the, one of his roles is he, he convicts us concerning sin, right? And so, um, but, but the ultimate goal is, is uh, he's shining the light of the gospel and, and the work of Jesus in, uh, into our lives and our hearts and our minds so that we might benefit from salvation, right? And so I just remember, too, when I first heard the message of salvation, there was a little bit of an internal struggle in my heart. Um, like I knew it was true, and then I was trying to think of what are the implications of this on my life. And, I, and even, even since then, after having become, become a Christian, and when I share that sometimes with some people, they kind of, you can see them doing the math in their head, like what if this is going to mean for them? If they submit their lives to Christ, you can almost see it being calculated at times. Uh, and the light of the Spirit is shining in their hearts and, and God wanting them to embrace that and welcome it uh, because it will mean freedom, freedom from sin, right? 
And so when he speaks of this language here, that the Messiah is coming to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, that's, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. You know, that's why when you, you, uh, you, you sing the old hymn and it says, I once was blind, but now I see. It's like God turned on the light and helped me understand that I needed to know him, that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is it. Right? That's what happens. And that's, that's hope, right? That's hope. So, you know, nobody's out of the reach of the long arm of God, okay? No one, no one, uh, anyone can be reached by the gospel and the light of the gospel and exposing the darkness in their lives, right? And so this is the message of hope, message of hope that John the Baptist is here on the earth here at this time we're reading about. He's pointing the way of the Messiah. He's going to say, you know, um, make way. <laughs> make, you know, and he says that uh, when he sees Jesus for the first time, when we eventually get to that part of Luke, right? He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna fade off into the background, and Jesus is going to come to the foreground, right? And that's the way it should be, right, in our lives too, right? When we receive Christ as Savior, uh, we submit our lives and his will. Uh, we submit our lives to his will. We say, not my will, but yours be done. Right? And that's a similar thing that John the Baptist is going to be doing. And so, so realize that this is a, uh, a hopeful message here, a hopeful song that he's singing. It's a message of redemption. It's a message here of the coming Messiah. Of course, we have the benefit of history to look back right, and see that Christ is definitely the fulfillment of that. And let's go to the Lord here this morning and give thanks for this. Lord, we're just um, grateful that we have these, re- these records here in the Scriptures of these various accounts here of, of um, the birth of Christ and all that led up to that. It's not a nice story. It's true. And so, Lord, we thank you that we serve uh, the God of second chances. We thank you, God, that uh, you uh, bless us in so many ways with your forgiveness. And we know that your, your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for that, God. We thank you that you are patiently waiting to come again, the second coming of Christ. You're waiting patiently so that as many people as possible will come to faith and have a chance to come to know Christ as Savior. Lord, we also just thank you for um, the example there of Zechariah and his second chance and that you're, you're never too far from God. You, when you know the Savior, we can be forgiven. We know um, that there is constant cleansing that we receive through the blood, by the blood of Christ uh, when we know Christ as Savior. Lord, help us to uh, be a light in the world. Those of us who know you as Savior, help us to be a light shining in the darkness uh, wherever we go. 
wherever we work, wherever we live, in our family, let our children see Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.